0: Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary, and today's guest is Jane Norberg. Welcome, Jane. Please tell us about yourself. Thanks, Mary, and thanks for having me on your podcast. So I was
0: chief in the office of the whistleblower in the Division of Enforcement at the Securities and Exchange Commission until mid-2021. And in that role, I helped really develop and grow that program from pretty much the inception to where it is today, which is an incredibly effective tool for the enforcement efforts at the SEC. And then I left the SEC to join the law firm of Arnold & Porter, where I am today. And what I did is I took what I learned at the SEC to help companies develop effective compliance programs. And I also help companies conduct internal investigations and handle tricky situations With internal whistleblowers. I'll call them whistleblowers through, but what I'm really talking about when I'm talking about an internal whistleblower is really anybody who gives a tip or complaint to somebody internally. And then I also represent companies if the SEC or regulator does end up getting involved.
1: Wonderful. You've got a really unique vantage point that I'm sure our listeners will be very interested in. So we'll cut straight to the chase and get started chatting about some of those things. You mentioned you spent over nine years working at the United States Securities and Exchange Commission in the Office of the Whistleblower's Office, including several years heading up that office. So I'll ask you a few questions on that relatively unique experience. So my first question for you is how does the office divide up time and resources of staff in terms of priorities and focus areas of work? So the Office of the Whistleblower
0: sits In the Division of Enforcement and reports directly to the director of the Division of Enforcement. And so the entire purpose of that office is to administer the whistleblower program. That's literally all it does. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why that program is so successful because you have people sitting there full time and their Mm -hmm. whole job is to get whistleblower information in the door and make sure it's used to bring successful enforcement actions at the commission. So everything from whistleblower tip intake to handling hotline calls from whistleblowers and the public, conferring with enforcement staff on whistleblower issues like, for example, protecting confidentiality or building whistleblower retaliation and impeding cases. And then, of course, building the record to make award determinations with respect to whether someone's entitled to an award and if they are, then how much, like what percentage of an award they should get.
1: Cool. Thank you. And how, how does the SEC typically work with whistleblowers? When you hear about them or they come to you, what does that process and interaction look like? Yeah, just to be clear, whistleblower enforcement staff pretty much around the country
0: works with whistleblowers on a daily basis. That's how many whistleblower tips come in, and that's how many whistleblower tips get in the hands of enforcement who then look to bring potential enforcement actions based on that information, of course, after a very thorough investigation. And so whistleblower information has just become such an integral part of the SEC's enforcement program. So the process kicks off when a whistleblower submits a tip to the SEC and elects to be part of the whistleblower program. And then from there, there's a separate office called the Office of Market Intelligence. And that's another office within the Division of Enforcement that staff in that office triages the tips. They triage every single tip that comes into the commission, whether it's a whistleblower tip or not. And they make a determination if the information is credible and specific and timely enough to be passed on to another division, including the Division of Enforcement for potential investigation. And so as part of that, if enforcement staff does um, take a tip and does decide to investigate, then they'll interview the whistleblower, determine what information they have. Whistleblowers sometimes come in with documents and smoking gun type evidence that they can bring in the door and they
1: determine how, how the whistleblower can be useful in building the case. Oh, thank you. What are the major factors that determine whether or not a whistleblower gets an award for their reporting?
0: Yeah, so there's, there are eligibility requirements. And so first, there's a, a an assessment that's done to make sure that the person's even eligible. The information had to be voluntary, it has to be original, and it has to lead to a successful enforcement action. And all those are terms of art, which we don't have enough time to get into, <laughs> yep. but, but there's a whole process that you have to think about. Um, and then in addition, there are certain officers and directors, including compliance personnel who, in general are excluded from getting an award but there are exceptions for those individuals and so it, the the staff takes a look at all the exceptions to determine if someone may fall into that particular mm-hmm. bucket but when you're thinking about what award percentage might somebody get there are four positive and three negative factors that makes the determination so assume the person's eligible then the commission will look at the significance of the information that the person provided their assistance to the commission staff in bringing the investigation, the significance of the law enforcement interest in, deter, in deterring violations in that particular area. And really important for this audience is there's a positive factor that if a person had worked with their internal compliance mm. structure, that they can potentially get an enhanced award. And we talk a lot more about that later and about how that how that kind of fits into what probably the bulk of the listeners do on a daily basis, which is think about how to get information in from their employees and hopefully act on it in a way that the employee feels confident and comfortable that they're not going to go out to the regulator, but they still might because of the monetary awards that might get paid. But on the three negative factors aside, if someone had delayed unreasonably delayed in reporting to the commission if they are potentially culpable in the matter. And then finally, if they interfered with an internal compliance structure, then it can actually reduce the award. I would say that's a rare one and that's a hard mm-hmm. one. That would mean that there would be have to be proof that individuals somehow lied or
1: wouldn't cooperate with internal Mm -hmm. investigation I think that's a hard one to reduce an award for though that makes sense I guess it's unlikely that if someone's whistleblowing about something the chances are that they've tried to ruin an internal investigation I guess it would really only have to be because they think that they can get a whistleblower payout later there's not much other incentive as to why you would bungle something internally then go external
0: yeah, and, and it's interesting because I don't, I'm not even sure why that, fa- that negative factor is there because at the end of the day, there's other parts of the award process that actually encourage internal reporting. If someone reports internally and then they report that same information to the commission within 120 days of that internal report, then they get credit uh, as being like first in line in mm-hmm. bringing that, in that report. And then secondly, if the company does an internal investigation – and does uncover information based on that whistleblower tip, that internal whistleblower tip, then that individual actually gets the credit mm. that the company uncovers when the SEC is looking at the four positive factors and determines like how high the percentage it might be. So it it actually can bump up somebody's award quite significantly if they do cooperate with internal
1: reporting mm. structures. Cool. Good point. Thank you for making that. You recently contributed to an article about the SEC's annual report on its whistleblower program. It's nice to stay involved in, the, in an area that you've been so heavily invested in previously. What are some of the key takeaways that you would like to share with the great woman in compliance audience?
0: Yeah. So the the last fiscal year, there was just a record number of tips that were mm. reported to the SEC. It was over 12,000 whistleblower tips in mm. 2022 and that follows on the heels of, a, of another record year, which was in 2021. And the tip numbers really just went through the roof. Right around the time that COVID started, the COVID huh. lockdown started, mm-hmm. there was a very big increase in tips to the point where it almost doubled mm-hmm. from 20, 2020 to 2021. And then what I was looking to see is, was it going to stay as high as it was in 2021? And in fact, it did, mm-hmm. which... When you have one year, maybe it's a fluke. When you have two, it's, okay, now is this going to be a trend? And I think it's a really interesting trend, especially Mm. compliance programs to really think about now that people are working hybrid, fully remote, Mm. sometimes in the office, sometimes not. And I don't know that the workforce is ever going to go back to how it had been with five days a week in the office. Mm. And so the question becomes, is there something missing? Is there something Mm. missing in compliance programs or in internal reporting structures that employees aren't feeling potentially as comfortable reporting internally Mm -hmm. or or feeling more confident in reporting out to a regulator, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of it. You're sitting at home and you're in front of your computer. It's really easy, right? Just to go Mm -hmm. on that website and type in a tip, whereas you might not have felt that same way if you were Mm -hmm. sitting in an office. And so I think that is a challenge for compliance personnel now is to figure Mm -hmm. out At the program and say, are we is it structured in the right way? Are we encouraging people? Are we still able to connect with people in the way that we may have in the past regarding our culture and our tone from the top and that we want people to report, that we encourage them to report? Is that still coming across when you're sitting on a Zoom, maybe a couple of times a week, not Mm -hmm. seeing that person day to day, maybe grabbing a coffee with them or something? And so I I really think that is a challenge. Mm -hmm. I think that is just how it is right now Mm -hmm. and I think it's here to stay at least for the for the foreseeable future
1: some really interesting points
0: there yeah, and so the and so in addition, I would say the other thing I saw from that annual report to Congress is the the corporate impact. When you think about okay, whistleblowers are getting paid an award for information, but what's the impact on the corporation? And mm-hmm. hence the compliance program aspect to this. Over the life of the programs was put in place in 2010, really got up and running in 2011. Talking about 12 years of a of this program being in place. In that time, corporations and individuals have been fined over $6.3 billion mm. based on whistleblower information. And so when you're thinking about your compliance programs, getting it right and getting internal reports to come in and being able to investigate it, it really is so critical because when you mm. think about those numbers staggering, how much of an impact whistleblower information can have on a company as well as getting investigations by the SEC up and running, and then the other thing that I did note was that there was an increase in what I would call whistleblower impeding cases. So there's a rule at the at, under the SEC rules that basically that no one can take any action to impede someone from reporting a possible securities law violation to the commission. Mm-hmm. And in the way those cases were brought in the past when I was the chief of that office was there were severance agreements that were in place that probably had pretty standard language in them. For departing employee that said that you can't report information mm-hmm. out without telling the company first or mm-hmm. just us or something along those lines. And there have been 16 cases to date brought wow. against companies based on that type of language, but it's expanding and it's expanding. Even actions to shut down an employee's IT system that deny them access to the building after they said that they were going to potentially report something out. They didn't say to a regulator, mm-hmm. but they did make this sort of statement when that person got their IT system shut down and got withheld access to the building. The SEC did find that was steps to impede reporting to the commission. So it, it just keeps expanding and so whenever someone does report internally, and I think this is also a role, quite frankly, of compliance personnel, even though there is HR, legal, mm-hmm. this whole mix in there, just ensuring that when someone does report internally, that if there is some sort of personnel action that's going to happen, that it's thoughtful and it's mm-hmm. documented. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that just because somebody reports internally or is, quote, a whistleblower, that something negative can't happen to them. Mm-hmm. They are a bad employee or they, do, uh, they were on the list anyway, right, mm-hmm. For example to be a riff or something doesn't mean that it can't happen. It's just making sure that it's thoughtful and that mm-hmm. there's nothing that can impede that person from reporting to the commission after,
1: you know, it after they're terminated. That's really interesting. So it adds another layer. If there is going to be an adverse consequence to an individual who's indicated that they might speak up, we of course always worry about retaliation and try to address that. But this additional element of worrying about whether it would be impeding the individual from making a report is another consideration. And then you mentioned for a RIF, so many layoffs recently involve you being notified because you can't get into your computer system. So if there's gonna be a wider layoff, this puts notice I think on organizations to consider, is anybody on the riff list, someone who has given us an indicator that they intend to speak up about something. And I wonder if in those situations it can be mitigated by continuing with the adverse action, but providing the employee with a note that says, we understand that you have an interest in sharing some information. Here is contact details for the Office of the Whistleblower. We remind you of our compliance action line, and we would like to invite you to a meeting with the Chief Compliance Officer if you would like to share that. I wonder if taking such proactive steps might help mitigate any risk there.
0: Yeah, it may, and it may, and but as I said, it's not that there can't be steps mm-hmm. taken, exactly. right? And I don't necessarily think that the company is under any obligation to point the person to, mm-hmm. the to a regulator, but it's just that there can't be by action or language, anything mm. that might impede that person from reporting. Mm-hmm. So for example, in a severance agreement, mm-hmm. Riff, you think everyone signs like usually confidentiality language mm-hmm. or things like that. There's this sort of catch-all language that should be in pretty much every agreement. Uh, any company that's subject to IC jurisdiction at this point mm-hmm. that that basically says that nothing in this agreement is intended to prevent someone from reporting. Mm-hmm. Good. It's not.
1: It's,
0: yeah, it's more expansive. It's a little mm-hmm. more expansive than that. Mm-hmm. That's the general. That's the general gist of it.
1: Okay, that sounds good. I'd love to talk for a minute about your first point you made as well about the increase, the trend in reports increasing. We of course love speak up trends like that in compliance. And a long time ago, I used to work for the the New Zealand Antitrust Regulator, and some of our work involved not just reactive responding and investigating cases, but also what I would call advocacy and outreach as the government authority in this area. So letting the public know about what we did and increasing awareness and education around cartel conduct, that kind of thing. Can you think of anything that maybe the, as you were outgoing from the office, any kind of advocacy and outreach that the office of the whistleblower was doing that might explain an increase? Because we, for example, see when we change our compliance action line posters in compliance departments, even that simple change can result in an uptick in reports. Anything that you can think of that may have encouraged it from the officer's side?
0: I think that's part of the mandate, right? And when I was chief of that office, I did a lot of public speaking mm-hmm. program to educate the public about it, to educate compliance personnel, right? About the program, and the so I would say that has always been part of the mandate. I think personally that there were a lot of awards that were being paid, some eye popping awards 50 million, 75 million dollars mm-hmm. of uh, dollars going out to what's and, what, and press releases were being put out by the office. Mm-hmm. It's very intentional. At least. Mm-hmm. When I was the chief, it was very intentional to make mm-hmm. sure that look understood. If you give us good information, you can mm-hmm. get paid for that information. I think when those types of press releases get widely circulated, mm-hmm. people just turns attention to that program. They realize that it exists and it's, wait a minute, I'm getting fired anyway, or <laughs> I'm losing my job and I have mm-hmm. this information. This may be a way to ease that, that pain if I have this information. Mm-hmm. I think that some of that is the, it's just the publicity around the program mm-hmm. really helps as well.
1: Great. So I'm just going to point to you and say that, Jane, you could have been instrumental in many of these reports coming in. Good job. (laughs) Based on your time at the SEC, what's something that you recommend today that compliance officers include in their compliance programs that is often missing?
0: Yeah. So I, one thing I will say that I learned when I was in the SEC from my pretty much daily conversations with whistleblowers or whistleblower counsel is that employees for the most part, really do like their jobs and mm-hmm. believe in their companies and they want to work within their internal reporting structures when they can, and they're comfortable. And so when employees report internally, and then they felt like they weren't being heard, mm-hmm. that no one responded to their tip, no one responded mm-hmm. to their complaint, or they viewed something as a sham investigation, mm-hmm. something like that. That is when they ended up reporting out to a regulator. One gap that I saw over and over again, I was the chief of that office was a whistleblower would say, I told my boss. So thinking about middle management, not reporting to a hotline. I can mm-hmm. tell you a lot of whistleblowers do not use the hotline. Yeah, times they are talking directly to their boss. And they are saying, here's is an issue that I'm seeing. And they seem, and, and here's where the gap comes in. Because I think that the manager doesn't necessarily recognize that as like a quote official whistleblower. Uh, and official, po- good point. Yeah, complaint. Mm-hmm. And they're just having a conversation with the employee, thinking mm-hmm. that they resolved it. Ah! And we're all moving on. And the employee is, I told my boss, mm-hmm. somebody who can do something about it. Instead mm-hmm. of doing something about it, they just went about their day. Mm-hmm. And so there was just this, this disconnect between the employee telling their boss mm-hmm. and the boss just, again, just thinking that they took care of it or the boss, the manager, understanding what to do with that information. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people get promoted within companies and they get all kinds of training, mm-hmm. not necessarily on this, right? Mm-hmm. Necessarily on internal reporting. And you are now going to be the direct manager of mm-hmm. many people who are going to mm-hmm. come to you, knock on your door mm-hmm. or Zoom with you <laughs> Zoom mm-hmm. and tell you something. And you have to, number one, be able to recognize that it's mm-hmm. a it's a tip and then where do they go with it right mm-hmm. they don't even know what to do with it should they all who do mm-hmm. they all make it to be mm-hmm. I mean, really clear mm-hmm. direction to managers that if you mm-hmm. get this tip mm-hmm. get a tip, and here's what these tips might look like mm-hmm. giving real examples here's where you go is it do they fill out a web form mm-hmm. is it, do they call mary shirley in compliance mm-hmm. Do they call legal what do they do with that information mm-hmm. and i have done training for Entire organizations. Where I train all the employees, I train mm-hmm. the managers separately, and then I even train the board of directors, right? Mm-hmm. As a role in that mm-hmm. compliance. And the managers, I think, found it very useful because we would run through like actual scenarios about what a tip might look Mm -hmm. for, like for your organization Nice. and then, and recognizing, Oh yeah, wait a minute. That is a tip. I get Mm -hmm. it. And then here's where I would go with it and just, and understand that they have the responsibility, right. Mm -hmm. Responsibility to the company, Mm -hmm. right. To pass on that information because managers are just the, frontline receivers of information, and honestly, Mm -hmm. they're also the frontline potentially viewing happening that they Mm -hmm. themselves see, and they themselves need to understand how to report it. And that's critical when you think about a risk company and risk assessments, just making sure that they understand where to go with the information so the company can take those really important critical steps determine whether there should be an internal investigation done. And then if there's something wrong to remediate it, Mm -hmm. as that will certainly help if ultimately a whistleblower goes out to the commission comes in and the company can say, Oh yeah, we know about it. We got a report. Mm-hmm. It's so
1: critical. This is really helpful. I do make it a matter of practice to do a step-by-step and turn it into a quick reference sheet for managers because you might get the training from compliance but not get your first tip or report for, say, six months. And you're like, oh, darn it, I can't remember what to do. So having it as a step-by-step, almost a checklist, if you will, that your managers can print off and have in their desk drawer or at home up on the wall if they need it. Is great. And dear listener, if you are looking for some guidance on that, I've done a template version of what this step-by-step might look like on my Living Your Best Compliance Life column at Corporate Compliance Insights. So check out the November column if you'd like some inspiration on how that might look. Please obviously tailor it to your own procedures and do not take that as legal advice. And what I would say, Jane, is that I hadn't really thought about the point about Oh, I just assumed that every manager would know when someone sits in their room with a serious look on their face, sweating like crazy, that they would get, hey, this is a compliance report. So taking that step back before even launching into the, okay, this is what you do when you get a report, this is what a report could look like. And it comes in various forms, Mm -hmm. super helpful information, at least for me, and I'm going to bet for... uh, our super savvy audience as well. So thank you for sharing that. The fact that you've seen it time and time again tells us that there are some gaps and we can use this information to improve our compliance programs. Good actionable advice there for us.
0: Yeah, and recognizing also that mm-hmm. it can come sometimes in the workplace Dispute, right? You know, that somebody's angry about something, mm. office space is being moved, they're mm-hmm. being something small happens, mm-hmm. right? And it just triggers something where that person says, Oh, we're well, making move, but what about this information that I have? Right. It can yes. happen in a way that doesn't seem like the person's really being legitimate with their information. Yes. But The manager should not be
1: making that determination. It should be through the process. (laughs) That's one of my favorite points to make is that I feel that people disregard disgruntled employees as you in in your role and in compliance. It is very possible to be a disgruntled employee and someone with really good information. And so that's part of the step-by-step that I like to give is withhold your judgment. It is your role to collect the information and to thank the person for providing it because this really is a gift it is not your role to investigate or to make early decisions about the veracity of the or credibility of the reporter or the complaint. Correct. So a career question for you now, Jane, after I've gotten super excited and worked up about what I want to do next with that information. What is your (laughs) advice for someone who would like to work for a government regulator or authority?
0: I actually think it is great experience to have. Mm-hmm. actually think it has made me, because my career path was like, I was, joke, it's the long and winding road, but I was on the defense side at a big law firm. And then I went to the SEC, to the government, and I'm mm-hmm. back on the defense side at a big law firm. And getting both perspectives, mm-hmm. both sides of the coin is so critical. Mm-hmm. job Because mm-hmm. all of the things I'm talking about today, I would not have recognized that mm-hmm. had I not been sitting at the SEC, I would not have mm-hmm. recognized how whistleblowers like view information, mm-hmm. view internal reporting, or or the issues that they were seeing and what was what was upsetting them and what was making them come mm-hmm. out to regulator. I would not have recognized that at mm-hmm. all had I not been at the regulator and seen it firsthand. And so I I actually would highly recommend it mm-hmm. that someone has an opportunity to step into a government or regulator position. Mm-hmm. Do
1: it. Awesome. What's something about career success that you wish you had known when you were in an earlier stage of your career? I think probably that
0: everything will work out. Sometimes you get into a rut at work and Mm -hmm. you feel like, you don't know what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. That you're never going to learn something or that you're not where you should be, right? If imposter mm-hmm. syndrome, especially women, right? <laughs> and I think that's real. And I feel mm-hmm. like everybody feels that at some mm-hmm. point in their career, but it's just more finding your way, finding mm-hmm. your path, and it will all work out in the end. Mm-hmm. Very big believer in that.
1: Same here. And any rejection is always redirection to something better. So if you're going through a tough time, Right now, have have belief that things will work out just as Jane says. I love that. My final question for you, Jane, is what is your advice for compliance officers when they're looking to elevate their compliance programs in 2023? And especially if you could comment your thoughts on ESG reporting or any recent cases that are of interest to you?
0: Yeah. So in addition to all the things we've already talked about now, I would say that thinking of it from an SEC perspective. That this particular administration has been extremely focused on ESG disclosures and disclosure controls. And I have an advisory actually that I'm writing as we speak regarding a case that just came out this past week, where it's, it's, ESG related, but not in a way that you would think about. So it's related to the S mm-hmm. social effects of ESG, and it related to a risk factor that was listed in this company's public filings about the fact, and this is a really common risk factor, that it needed to attract, retain, or motivate a workforce with employees with certain specialized skills. Sounds really benign, sounds really normal thing mm-hmm. every most every business might say. In fact, though there were employee complaints of workplace misconduct, I think was sexual harassment type Mm -hmm. issue that was pretty pervasive within the company that had been reportedly been made within this company. What the SEC found is that statement that they needed to attract, retain, and motivate this workforce that, and if they didn't, right, that it could hurt their bottom dollar line, right? Mm-hmm. Investors wouldn't know about it. They found that the company's disclosure controls were lacking as there was no procedure for mm-hmm. complaints, for internal complaints, to be elevated to the right people within the company who are making those disclosures in that filing, in that filing about so that they could make a timely assessment about whether their disclosures were right, or did they mm. need to update them? Right. Mm. And so it's a really fascinating case. It's a really fascinating, I'm writing an advisory now. So if you check my LinkedIn page, it'll be up shortly and you can take a look at it because it's really a fascinating, a really fascinating case and, and unique. And one I think that the SC is going to focus on, which is human capital, mm. which kind of goes right into the sweet spot of mm-hmm. compliance personnel how are they in taking tips? Mm-hmm. Then this is the line of where does that, where do those tips go? Who are you mm-hmm. reporting them to up the mm-hmm. chain? If you get them in the right place in compliance. And another interesting part of that case is the SEC also charged that same company with impeding whistleblower reporting mm-hmm. because of language in a severance agreement. Mm-hmm. So they had this catch-all language that I talked about, mm-hmm. but they also had contradictory language Ooh. within the same agreement. And so, which is also important, right? So, just throwing in catch all language doesn't necessarily work if somewhere else it contradicts it. Mm -hmm. That's actually, that's got that. This case has a little bit of everything that we literally talked about today. So, I'll have that advisory out shortly and everyone can take a look at it. I'll make sure it's on my LinkedIn page.
1: Super. I believe this case has been pretty thoroughly canvassed on the podcast before in terms of the events, circumstances, and critical analysis that got us to this point. I'm glad that you're finishing off the story for us, Jane, or it may not even be the end of the story. So I'm glad you're doing the next chapter. encourage our listeners to follow Jane for interesting insights in this area. Unfortunately, that's all that we've got time for today, Jane. That was such a great quality of information that you gave us, a unique perspective that we don't often get to see. So thank you so much for your time expertise and insight. Absolutely. I was really happy to be here and thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.